last week on the Sonic Truth Dynasty podcast. They're rhetorical questions. They're just to give me a break so I can take a few breaths, I can re-energize, and then I can just cut you off and just say whatever I want. And. And there was a lot of showering on Nate. And. You are the bad guy. You deserve a mop handle in the face. Do you remember what you said about janitors? And. Of course he'll be fine. He's Drew fucking Breeze. And. Is this the time when you think people start masturbating to the show? What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Sonic Truth Dynasty Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Liss. You can find me on Twitter at an outraged Jew. And with me is Matt Kelly. You can find him on Twitter at fantasy underscore mansion. Matt, it's Saturday morning. We normally do this on Thursday. How do you feel? I feel great, man. I am ready to go because a lot of people can't take this. We do this show over and over and over and over again. We're up in people's faces every week. The Sonic Truth Podcast. A lot of people, they just can't take that over and over and over and over again. (laughs) God, that is definitely the Marshawn Lynch take. So the breaking news is that Marshawn Lynch intends to play for the Oakland Raiders. What do you think? I love it. Marshawn on Oakland or Las Vegas. Marshawn in silver and black. It's great. I I don't think he has anything left. I don't think he's good. (laughs) I don't think he's going to be productive. you kidding me? Of course not. But having Marshawn back in the league, that's exciting. Let's play the sound from 60 Minutes Sports. That's when it just clicked in my mind that if you just run through somebody's face, a lot of people ain't going to be able to take that over and 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 over again. They're just not going to want that. Think there's a deeper metaphor there? Run through a motherfucker face. Then you don't have to worry about them no more. This is why I love Marshawn Lynch. He is a character. He doesn't care. Marshawn Lynch gives zero fucks. That's the best thing about him. I just want maximum players in the NFL that give zero fucks. So whether he's still got any fast twitch muscle fibers remaining, I don't think he does. But whether or not he does or not, I don't care. I want that character in my sports league. The NFL would love to have Marshawn Lynch back in the league. And I agree with you. After watching him towards the end of his career in Seattle with the injuries and the rehabilitation and the lack of production, even with a quarterback like Russell Wilson, who would make it easier to run the ball for you than perhaps being with Derek Carr. But he wasn't super productive. He's aged. He's been out of the league. Who knows how well he's taken care of himself since then. It'll be exciting to see him play, but I agree with you. I don't have very high expectations for him. Does Marshawn Lynch strike you as a guy that in the last year has just been running hills, has been out at the high school practice field with one of those human parachutes? Does he strike you as the type of guy that's been doing that, that takes immaculate care of his body? No. Does he the type of guy that's going to be starting the equivalent of the Larry Fitzgerald running back camp, the Marshawn Lynch running back camp? Can you see him doing that? I don't think so. I know that he's involved in the community and stuff like that, so maybe he would be there as like a guest or something, but I absolutely do not think that Marshawn Lynch has spent enough time taking care of his body, perhaps at the level of an NFL running back. He may still be going to the gym and doing the usual stuff because maybe he's still into those things, but... Does he go to the gym? I don't know. Because I don't think he has time to go to the gym. How can he fit in gym time when he's playing video games taking bong hits, and eating Skittles. Where's the time to go to the gym? I don't see it. He's too busy doing those three activities. I don't know. Is he not? There's no time for the gym in that scenario. I don't know. No, I mean, if if I already had enough money in the bank and I was Marshawn Lynch and I had his notoriety and everybody around the world loved me, or at least the people that knew who I was, yeah, I'd probably just hang out at home, eat Skittles, game it up. I drive by the gym. I don't know that I'd go in it. He's not going in the gym. <laughs> no. We talked about the money he's made. Marshawn Lynch is a fascinating character on many levels. 
Money means nothing to Marshawn Lynch. He has not spent a single game check. He puts every game check in the bank. He lives only off endorsement dollars and the auxiliary funds that he is able to generate as a professional athlete. He doesn't spend the money he made playing football. That all goes in the bank. That's pretty incredible. He's just an impressive guy, man. He's just an impressive guy on so many levels. He says whatever he's thinking, and he doesn't fall into these cliche athlete traps that so many of these guys do, and I appreciate him on multiple levels because of that. Now, the one thing he has going for him is the Oakland offensive line is one of the better run-blocking units in the league. So if he does have a modicum of athletic ability and explosion left, the Oakland Raiders offensive line and overall offense being in the red zone a lot will help him get the most out of what is remaining in the tank and propel him to fantasy relevance. If he can win a starting job, he will absolutely be a productive asset in that system. Marshawn Lynch also in Seattle featured in the past game a little more than I think people ever expected him to. I don't know that in Oakland he's going to necessarily need to be in that role. He might be able to slip into sort of that Adrian Peterson first, second down kind of role, especially with where he's at in his career now. And Oakland's already got Jalen Richard, who can do that third down game for them and even spell in there as a running back. So it is possible for him in Oakland with an O-line like that that sometimes puts a sixth offensive lineman in for him to find success between the tackles and not have to play as many downs as Seattle expected him to. So there might be a little bit left in the tank, but again, expectation is very low. Very low. He may, Marshawn Lynch's return does do a couple things. First of all, it has to enrage the Seattle fan base, does it not? As a Seattle Seahawks fan, aren't you enraged by this? Marshawn Lynch retiring so that he can switch teams so he can get out of Seattle doesn't that isn't that isn't that insulting to you I guess it is but here's the thing one Seattle still has the rights to him at this point and two I don't know that Marshawn necessarily wants to come back to Seattle knowing that he was supplanted in Seattle and it's kind of like the last place that he was where I don't want to say that he failed but he couldn't get it going again so maybe this is one of those things where he's always had his he's always had the heart in Oakland he's wanted to play for Oakland these rumors have swirled before and maybe it's different change of scenery helps him sort of revitalize what he once had at least in his mind who knows if physically he can do it but Seattle didn't work out towards the end with the injuries and his production and maybe Oakland's just a better fit so I understand why he might want to try but as a Seattle fan it's tough to watch him go because you watch the beat you know you watch the beast quake you watched in the playoffs where you just begged Seattle to run the ball on the one because you knew what you had in Marshawn Lynch. That's that's what everybody knew about him. That moment right there when you're like, give him the ball, you know, and they threw the interception. What moment was that? I don't remember that that moment. Yeah, right. Of course you don't. But what everybody's expectation was in that very moment, that's how people felt about Marshawn Lynch. You knew that he could carry the load. He could get it done. And when he wasn't doing that anymore in Seattle and sort of the things that transpired after that play in particular – I think that this would be a good move for him to just go somewhere different. And I know Oakland's a good place for him. It has been a couple of years since we saw Marshawn Lynch play football. Sometimes I forget what he was all about on the field, what his running style was. Let's hear him talk about it in his own words. That's when it just clicked in my mind that if you just run through somebody's face, a lot of people ain't going to be able to take that over and 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 over again. They're just not going to want that. Think there's a deeper metaphor there? Run through a motherfucker face. Then you don't have to worry about him no more. Oh, that's right. That's right. Marshawn Litch specializes in running through a motherfucker's face. Because <laughs> you can't take that over and 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 over and, and over again. Oh, Run through a motherfucker face. And no, there isn't a deeper metaphor there. Yeah, again, he doesn't come off as necessarily the uh, smartest guy in the room, but everybody loves Marshawn Lynch, and it's it's a good clip. You know John Wertheim, who interviewed Marshawn Lynch for that 60 Minutes piece? He came on my show last year, and we talked about interesting phenomenon in the NFL like home field advantage and concussions. Great show is on the Football Die Hards feed. 
you can hear my interview with the distinguished John Wertheim, executive editor from Sports Illustrated, who is well known for interviewing Marshawn Lynch and being interviewed by the podfather himself, Matt Kelly. Mm. Does anyone in the NFL have a non-football highlight reel better than Marshawn Lynch? You see players wired up for sound and some funny moments happen on the sideline. You see moments that happen during celebrations. Chad Ochocinco, probably the most famous for that. We see clips of Terrell Owens running to the Dallas Star in the center of the field and spiking the ball. But does anyone have a better highlight reel on the sideline, in the end zone, being interviewed, playing video games, on Jimmy Kimmel than Marshawn Lynch? No, and the only person you could put in there, and he's got some time left, is Rob Gronkowski. It's the only other guy that's that's going to be on that level. But Marshawn's definitely got the ultimate highlight reel. Marshawn is head and shoulders ahead of Gronk at this moment for best off-field highlight reel because it starts with Marshawn Lynch at Cal commandeering a golf cart from a trainer and doing donuts in the middle of the field during a game, during a timeout. That happened. Go to YouTube, search for Marshawn Lynch golf cart. It's amazing. He's amazing. I'm so glad he's back. But the one problem with Marshawn Lynch landing in Oakland is it's one more attractive destination that is potentially off the board for one of these incoming rookie backs. And the back that I wanted to see in Oakland, who I thought was the best fit for the Oakland run game, was Dante Foreman. Dante Foreman recently had his pro day. Did you see his measurables? In the words of Ric Flair, yes, Deontay Foreman did perform uh, at his pro day, and he killed it. I mean, he was he was one of the heavier backs coming into the combine, six foot, two hundred and thirty three pounds. At his pro day, he was timed at a four four five. Um, so I looked at what Fusu Vu, of course, Fusu Vu, friend of the show. By the way, Fusu Vu and I have become bros. We tweet back and forth all the time. We DM all the time. He and I are best friends now. How much interaction have you had with Fusuvu since he came on the show? Um, since I DM'd him after the show and said, thanks for hanging me out to dry with Matt Kelly. A uh, little bit, but not much. A little bit. Wow, he was your former Twitter best friend. So did I steal your best friend? Yeah, you, you ripped the Ishmael Zamora flag that was waving in his hands, out of his hands, and stood up on the hood of the Humvee and just waved it in the air <laughs> at a rapid pace. <laughs> and yeah, that, that was the day I lost him. And now we're best friends. That's fantastic. Good for you guys. It's great for you guys. So glad to hear that. That's good for you. That's great. <laughs> I fought to get him on the show. <laughs> he participated in my Dynasty Bilogasm Monster Fantasy Analyst Ensemble article. Everyone participated in that article. We had 70-plus contributors, everyone except you. I'm elusive. It's going to be difficult to get me to document anything on there other than tweets. It's difficult for you to do anything, really. That's fine. I totally agree. You want to talk about Deontay Foreman? Please, if you have an opinion about Deontay Foreman, I would love to hear it. Anything you've done, any work you've done on any player, I am eager to hear it. Okay, well, let's start off with a fact about Deontay Foreman in Texas. So there's always been a narrative, there is fact to it, but that the Big 12 isn't a very difficult conference to play in. That may be true, that may not be true. It's difficult for defensive backs. Sure, sure. Well, there was teams that Deontay Foreman played this year that were ranked number 11 in rush defense. So with that being said, though, if you look at Texas, excluding Deontay Foreman, do you know when the last time they had a 1,000-yard rusher was? Ricky Williams. Jamal Charles, 2007. That's the last time they had a running back rush for over 1,000 yards. So it's been 10 years. So you can say what you want about the conference, because I know people do, but Deontay Foreman is the first one to do it, and he rushed for over 2,000 yards. And Coach Charlie Strong has never had a running back that even pushed the amount of carries that Deontay Foreman pushed this year, which was 323. Did any other running back rush for 2,000 yards or more last season, or was he the only one in this class that rushed for 2,000 yards last season? Ooh, good question. Off the top of my head, I don't know. The answer is he's the only one. Okay, right. 
So if you look at Texas, way to do your homework, Nate. Oh, jeez, I didn't. I didn't think we were going to go to a question like that, but I know Deontay Foreman did. So when you look at this team, though, in Texas, I know Deontay Foreman only had seven receptions this year and and five the year prior. And this is one of the knocks on Deontay Foreman is that he didn't have the receiving production. And I realize as somebody that watches film that he's a little bit of a liability in pass protection. A little bit. That's something that he needs to work on. And a lot of running backs. <laughs> A lot of running backs coming out of college do need to work on that. That's one of the biggest things we always talk about. If you're a good pass protector, you're going to get on the field sooner. It, otherwise, you're going to have to contribute on special teams. But Texas has never really funneled the ball to the running back position. And they've especially not funneled the ball in the passing game to a running back that has ran the ball as many times as Deontay Foreman did. They've only had two running backs in the last 10 years that notched over 200 carries that basically surpassed what Foreman did. You had Belial Powell in 2010, who had 18 receptions, and you had Jeremy Wright, who had 40 in 2012. So Texas's style, even before Charlie Strong, was not to pass the ball to the running back necessarily. So I kind of hinged that on Deontay Foreman's production because when you watch him in pass drills at his pro day, he looked really good. He looks like he's got a natural ability to do it. The problem is he didn't do it enough. So I would say that it's something he's probably going to need to work on. And the other thing is the lack of pass protection. So that's my take on Deontay Foreman. Where do you have him ranked? I have him at number four. I think that's the same place as Fusu Vu. <laughs> Which of the big four backs, Mixon, McCaffrey, Fournette, Cook, do you have him ranked ahead of? I have him ahead of McCaffrey. Why? Because of the feature size of McCaffrey. It's just I've always been I've always been more pulled towards the running backs that have the feature size in the NFL. I like what McCaffrey's potential is because everybody looks at him like he's going to be a dynamic pass catcher. What do you mean looks at him like he's going to be a dynamic pass catcher? He is going to be a dynamic pass catcher. Not he in the NFL like yet. like some combination of Brian Westbrook, Charlie Gardner, Duke Johnson. Sure, he looks like it. Right, he looks like it. Nobody's seen him do it, and that's fine. And I'm not saying that he's not going to. He's got all the intangibles to be successful. But what I like about Deontay Foreman over him is I think Foreman can catch the ball in the same way that Marshawn Lynch can catch the ball. Nobody thought Marshawn Lynch was going to notch 35, 37 receptions in a year. If Deontay Foreman becomes a running back in the NFL that's getting high 200s in carries and he's getting Mark Ingram targets, 50 targets a year, then I would take him over McCaffrey, knowing that he's going to get the goal line work, knowing that he's going to be the feature back. What I mean, what's your debate with that, I guess? Go ahead. You were the one advocating for Christian McCaffrey as a workhorse back in the NFL. When we debated Christian McCaffrey, you were the one citing his incredible workload, particularly in his sophomore season, his all-purpose yards on an incredible number of touches. The last couple of years, no one comes close to Christian McCaffrey. And there are a lot of comps that were huge fantasy producers in Christian McCaffrey's stature range. 5'9", 5'10", 200, 205 pounds. That's Christian McCaffrey. Well, that's also Charlie Gardner. That's Brian Westbrook. That's Giovanni Bernard. That's Duke Johnson. That's Reggie Bush. Players with Christian McCaffrey's size, production, and athletic profile almost never fail. And in a world of PPR leagues... Those are the players that produce the most fantasy points in the NFL. They're not the between-the-tackles grinders like Deontay Foreman. That profile, A, produces less fantasy points overall, and B, is much riskier has a much wider range of outcomes than Christian McCaffrey. Christian McCaffrey has both a higher ceiling in the NFL in a Brian Westbrook, Charlie Gardner capacity and a much, much higher floor because at worst... Christian McCaffrey is Duke Johnson. Dante Foreman is very different. Dante Foreman could be Jordan Howard on the highest quality end of the spectrum, or he could be Andre Williams, someone who was a prolific runner in college, lots of yards, great efficiency, but never demonstrated pass-catching ability. Dante Foreman looks a lot more like Andre Williams than any other running back when you watch him play. And if we're being realistic, 
the hope is, okay, he can develop into a Jonathan Stewart. But that's not a player that's winning you a fantasy league. That's why I don't have Dante Foreman in my top five. He's certainly not in the top four. That's ridiculous. I mean, that's just absurd to say that he belongs to the top four ahead of any of those big four guys that I mentioned. Mixon, McCaffrey, Fournette, Cook. Get out of here. You lose all credibility when you say he's one of those four guys. He's not. He's in the next tier. But the guy at the top of the next tier is Jeremy McNichols. It's not Dante Foreman. You cannot argue that Dante Foreman has more NFL potential than Jeremy McNichols. Well, considering that Dante... Considering that Deontay Foreman is the first running back from Texas in the last 10 years to rush for over 1,000 yards, he differs from everybody before him. Why do you keep going back to this? Why do you keep talking about the history of the Texas Longhorns as if that's going to help or hurt Dante Foreman in the NFL? Okay, well, no, that's a great point, and I'll tell you why, because I'm trying to point out the product of a system. First off, Jeremy McNichols plays in the Mountain West Conference. Number one, we killed guys last year for this. We need to kill McNichols for it, too. Look, he produced in a conference that's not that great. Number one. Number two, he played for Boise State. Every year, a guy from Boise State is doing this. Before McNichols, it was a Jai, 1,800 yards, 28 touchdowns. 50 receptions for two years. You ever heard of DJ Harper? Over 1,100 yards, 15 touchdowns, 20 receptions. How about when Doug Martin did it? How about Jeremy Avery? Have you ever heard of Jeremy Avery? How about when Jeremy Avery rushed for over 1,100 yards and produced? 1,100 yards? Jeremy McNichols had well over 2,000 all-purpose yards last year and more than 20 touchdowns in consecutive seasons. You're comparing Jeremy McNichols to Boise running backs of the past that have no bearing on Jeremy McNichols' future in the NFL. The point is that Jeremy McNichols does the thing that raises a player's floor and ceiling, catch passes. He's incredibly fluid and dynamic in the passing game, the opposite of Dante Foreman. Now, I know you watched Dante Foreman's Pro Day. Congratulations. While you were watching Dante Foreman's Pro Day, while you were watching Dante Foreman's Pro Day, apparently you were not contributing an article to the player profiler Bilogasm, which I asked you to do and you said you would do and then you did not do, and you were not preparing for the show, but hell if you're not going to watch Dante Foreman's fucking Pro Day. And that's what you're basing his top five ranking on, this faith that he can somehow learn to catch passes. No, no, not learn. That he already has the ability. It's just that the system held him back. They didn't ask him to catch passes. Well, guess what? If he was great in the passing game, they would have designed plays to get him the ball in space, and they did not. They did that for Jeremy McNichols. The entire offense revolved around Jeremy McNichols. In a way, it did not revolve around Dante Foreman. And that's one of the reasons why I have Jeremy McNichols ranked in my top five. Go to playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings. See where we have McNichols and Foreman ranked. Of course, I have Foreman in my top 10. He rushed for over 2,000 yards. And he has bell cow back in his range of outcomes in the NFL. And not many running backs in this class have that. So Dante Foreman has to be in your top 10. But get out of here with top five and get out of here putting him ahead of McNichols, who is the underrated all-purpose wonderkin back in this class. When debating with Matt Kelly, you have to wait the three to four minutes for the take to end for you to get your point in. So let's go back to where you said that if Deontay Foreman was a good enough receiver, Texas would have used him that way. Charlie Strong never has. Texas never has. All the way back to Jamal Charles. Hold on. So Texas never has done that. If Deontay Foreman had played for Boise State, he probably would have posted similar numbers. I just laid out five guys who put up numbers like Jeremy McDickles did. I guarantee I don't even know who the runner is for Boise State this year. He's going to put up monster numbers. Boise State does. And here's another thing about McNichols' production. His receiving production was inflated by three games in particular. One game versus BYU, one game versus Louisiana Lafayette, and one game versus Utah State, who finished 1-7 and seven in their own conference. That was 280 receiving yards, 59% of his total production for the year. That's three of his 13 games. So let me get this straight. Let me get this straight. Let me get this straight. This is perfect. This is just perfect. So first of all, it's not the running back's lack of receiving capability that was preventing Charlie Strong and his staff from calling plays to get their running backs in space. It was the fact that 
they are biased against the running back, that they have built a system around keeping the ball away from the running backs in the passing game. So I'm supposed to believe that. That's ludicrous. That doesn't make sense. We have to assume these coaches are evaluating the talent they have, and they're putting their talent in a position to score as many points as possible. That's the baseline assumption we have to make about coaches, because you do not understand the fundamental underpinnings of the Boise State system versus the Texas system. You're not a coach, so get out of here with that argument. Second of all, you're here to tell me that we shouldn't count receptions that Jeremy McNichols actually logged in games that happened because he logged too many receptions in those games, but we need to give credit to Deontay Foreman for catches he didn't even make! Okay, there's so many reasons to debate this. Your your points are so asinine sometimes. I just told you that there are a ton of backs from Boise State that do this year over 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 year. Because they're good pass catchers. They're good receivers. They are. There's plenty of good receivers at the college level that don't fire in the NFL. Jeremy McNichols was a former receiver turned running back in high school. It doesn't matter. That's ir- that's not the point I'm trying to make. What do you mean? It is relevant. It's absolutely relevant. I'm not saying it's not relevant. Maybe Boise State's recruiting running backs that are great pass catchers. The bottom line is Dante Forma's not a pass catcher. He's a one-dimensional between-the-tackles grinder. And that's not the hand where you want to push all your chips into the middle of the table, Nate Liss. You want outs at the next level. Most of these prospects fail. So you want the running backs that give you the most outs. Right. Christian McCaffrey gives you outs at the next level. It's very difficult to see Christian McCaffrey failing. Okay. Jeremy McNichols gives you outs at the next level. It's very difficult to see Jeremy McNichols failing. You don't have many outs with Dante Foreman. If he doesn't land on a team with a great offensive line, it's over for him. Every running back that's ever come out of Boise State has failed in the NFL. What the hell is your point right now? Think about that. Are you going to bring up Jay Ajayi and his sample size? Why don't we just say that running backs that wear blue jerseys in college are destined to fail? If you're going to go team logo on me, we're going to hold the team logo against this guy. Juju Smith-Schuster can't succeed in the NFL because Nelson Aguilar failed before him. Let's say we criticize other analysts for these silly, superstitious, nonsense narratives. And you're using them in a serious argument against Jeremy McNichols of all players? The player we're trying to get on the show? The player this show loves the most in this entire draft class? The most underrated prospect we've seen all year? That's the player you're using the gibberish analysis to dismiss? You should be embarrassed! Do you realize that you cherry-picked the fuck out of stats? You haven't once mentioned the fact that he plays in the Mountain West Conference. You should be ashamed of yourself. How is Jeremy McNichols going to come on this show? He listens to the show. I've heard that he wants to come on the show. Now he's not going to come on the show because you're hitting him with unfair criticism, dismissing stats that he compiled because, well, you compiled just too many catches in that game. I want to pretend they didn't happen. Wait a minute. Isn't that what you said about Zay Jones? Oh, he had too many catches. He was a compiler. Yeah, so we're doing the same thing. The point is, you haven't once mentioned the fact that this is the Mountain West Conference. Just say it. Say it. It feels good to say it. I love McNichols. The conference was dog shit. I love McNichols, but the conference was dog shit. So take your pick how you want to play this game. Have you seen any tape of Big 12 offenses? It's like a video game. It's like watching kids play Madden when you watch Big 12 games. Players are running in from the 40 untouched regularly. Kansas was Kansas State was ranked number 11 in the country versus the run. Number 11, Deontay Foreman, 24 carries for 124 yards, 5.2 yards per carry. There was a ton of games where Deontay Foreman played against ranked opponents and produced. I'm just telling you that we can't cherry pick the freaking stats. I like Jeremy McNichols. I like his athletic profile. I like what he did at Boise State. But lots of guys do that at Boise State. It's the Mountain West Conference. Deontay Foreman will probably get drafted before Jeremy McNichols as well. 
also validating what I'm saying. I like Jeremy McNichols, and I like his ability. Wait, now you know where players are going to be drafted? Deontay Foreman will go before... Now you're talking to NFL GMs, and they're telling you where they plan to draft players, even though the draft hasn't happened yet, and decision-making by GMs changes as every draft pick comes in, and no one can predict where players are going to be drafted, and anyone that says they can predict where players are going to be drafted is a fraudulent fortune teller. Now you're playing that game too? I feel like we've stumbled upon something though. What this is is a lesson for all future football analysts. Any high schooler, college, professional broadcaster, football pundit should be listening to the show. It's training ground for those that want to know how not to argue on the behalf of football players. Right. I mean, yeah, we can do the Matt Kelly status where we look at big numbers and say, yep, that guy is going to be a hit. That's fine. If you're going to ignore the fact that he played the Mountain West Conference, then that's shame on you. If you're going to ignore the fact that every running back that shame on me, Boise State, you should be ashamed for blaspheming against Jeremy McNichols, the Jeremy McNichols. You should be ashamed of yourself. I love Jeremy McNichols. I do. Oh, really? Oh, really? I, I do. Because the fact is, he listens to the show. His mom listens to the show. Other members of his family listen to the show. And I can tell you, after they listen to this, they won't be listening again. Because you certainly didn't exude person who respects Jeremy McNichols on this show. McNichols is Kenneth Dixon, but a tick faster in a straight line. And I like McNichols' ability. That sounds a lot better than poor man's Andre Williams. Oh, God. What is a poor man's Andre Williams? That's like a grocery store bagger. And I hope I don't offend anybody that's a grocery store bagger. I had Evan Silva on the show earlier this week, and he said that Dante Foreman's range of outcomes is so wide, he may not finish his rookie deal in the NFL. He may be flying out before he even gets to the end of his rookie contract that's fine that's what happens to a lot of running backs that's fine I don't disagree with anybody's that's my whole point is that you're betting on a player with a very narrow success trajectory what contract is Doug Martin on why are you talking about Doug Martin again is it because he went to the same school as a player we've been discussing he was drafted higher I mean, I'm just saying, yeah, it's a perfect example. Why would you bring him up? It's irrelevant. Talking about players of the past, why aren't you bringing up Ricky Williams when talking about Dante Foreman? I mean, that's what I would be doing if I were you, spouting the gibberish analysis, just looking at the player's uniform and saying, well, the color of that uniform is the same color as that uniform. These players must be similar. Let's talk about Ricky Williams when discussing Dante Foreman. <laughs> that's the point that I'm trying to make that, that you don't want to accept is the fact that Boise State does this year after year. That's it. It doesn't matter. And I'll make you a wager. The next running back to come out of Boise State is going to have monster numbers next year, too, because it's what they do. It's how they play, just like East Carolina, right? That's how you feel about Zay Jones. What's the wager? Take your pick. What do you want it to be? Set the set the over-under on the stats. You set the over-under. You set the yards. We'll set the receptions. Pick them. I mean, what's a, what's a good production? You had Jeremy McNichols had how many receptions this year? What was his total receptions? He had 37 catches this year. Over-under for the next kid, and I don't even know who the fuck he is. 35 receptions. I'll take it. The next kid will have 35. I don't even know who he is. We just go look him up because I don't even know who the hell it is. You have to change your Twitter avatar to something of my choosing for a week and vice versa. Done. Done. Done and done. So 35 catches is our baseline. Next kid, nobody knows who he is. I love it. I'm fine with that. Okay. All right. Let's move on from McNichols because my blood pressure is through the roof right now. And you just lost the sports debate. Oh, God. Here we go. We'll leave that up to the people. Let the people decide. I like McNichols. I want to clear the air on that. But I just feel like sometimes we love players and we ignore some of the things that do matter that we pick apart in players that we think will not be successful. And I do think that those things about McNichols, he did it on his own. He caught the ball. He ran the ball. That's right. But Boise State does turn running backs into superstars in that conference and in that system. That's all. That's all I'm saying. Do you notice Jay Ajayi had multiple 200-yard games last season? Are we going to count his small sample size since we didn't count Thomas Rawls when he was having that year? No, I'm not talking about Jay Ajayi because he's irrelevant. Good. Just because he wore the same uniform in college means nothing. Good. Good. I agree. There you go. Thank you. Moving on. Let's talk about someone else that I hate besides you. Oh, go on. Cooper Cup. My new nickname for Cooper Cup is the Angel of Death. Ah. <sighs> 
But everyone is saying that he's going to be the steal of the draft, Nate. The steal of the draft. Here's the problem. If everyone says that he'll be the steal of the draft, if every NFL draft analyst on every platform and every scouting service claims that Cooper Cup is the steal of the draft, he can't be the steal of the draft. It's impossible for everyone to think he's a steal and for him to be a steal. The steal of the draft is the guy that no one's talking about, not the guy everyone's talking about. Do you remember Braxton Miller? I do remember Braxton Miller. Braxton Miller went to the Senior Bowl, and all we saw were gifs of Braxton Miller and talk that he was a first-rounder. The same thing is happening now with the white angel of death, Cooper fucking Cup. And I'm watching NFL Network, and they're running a special on this player. They have a Q&A on Twitter. Hashtag Ask Cooper on the NFL Network's path to the draft show. What, what is this? I don't understand. I don't know why this is happening. It's really sad. It's just really sad that so many NFL draft analysts and scouting services are so misguided. The fact that you would highlight Cooper Cup in this draft class as one of the steals and feature him in your draft coverage is completely ludicrous. We've made zero progress in our collective ability to evaluate NFL players. It's so upsetting. <laughs> I've seen these real tears you see in the monitor. It looks real. Because we've been working so hard to try to get people to start using playerprofiler.com advanced metrics and stats that actually predict performance. And uh, people refuse to do it. It just is what talk about Cooper fucking cop. That was hard to watch. That was like watching a a drama right there. That was incredible. Did you really cry? Are you still really crying? Of course not. I'm a great actor. It's impressive. Here's the thing about Cooper Cup, and this kind of goes back to the last conversation that we just had. His conference, very small, Big Sky Conference. Is that the name of the conference, the Big Sky Conference? That's the name of a conference? Right. Okay, and that, that validates another point. Yeah, never even heard of it. So, yes, Big Sky Conference. He was seven receptions short of four years consecutively of 100 receptions. We talked about this. His numbers are insane. You think Zay Jones' numbers were crazy? And for one season, they were pretty They were pretty gigantic. I agree. Not the yards per reception, though. Bottom of the league. Oh, here we go. Not, not the yards per reception. I'm not going to do this again. But Cooper Cup's numbers over his career are some of the biggest numbers I've ever seen from a wide receiver. I mean, double-digit touchdowns every year. Not better than Corey Davis. Maybe not the touchdowns, but I, the numbers are insane. Anyways, the point is his 40 time was a little slower than I think what people expected at the combine. He ran a 4.62. Why did they expect him to run fast? Why do they? Why does anyone expect this person to be a good athlete? Explain this to me. Why? He's not the most explosive athlete, obviously, but he had a decent three cone at 6.7. He could be... Why are you talking about his measurables? Why are we talking about him at all? This is what's maddening to me. Why the analysis? Why? Why do counting stats drive these conversations? And senior bowl practice film. Fuck Cooper Cup. I'd rather have Chad Hansen. No, we're not talking about him anymore. I don't want to hear. If we're going to go white receiver for white receiver. You know what? I don't care. I don't care what you have to say about Cooper Cup. I really don't. I did genuinely want to hear what you had to say about Dante Foreman. I really did. Now, it didn't resonate because it was mostly useless, but I did want to hear it. I don't even want to hear a syllable about Cooper Cup again. And now I look at my Twitter timeline, and there you go, agitating me on social media again. Tennessee running back Alvin Kamara spent yesterday visiting the Vikings. And that means nothing. Hmm. No one knows who's drafting Alvin Kamara. Where prospects visit means nothing. Who teams interview means nothing. What reporters like Ian Rappaport say on Twitter before the draft means nothing. Did anyone watch the draft last year? Did anyone think that the Dolphins were going to draft Laramie Tunsil? No, because it was impossible to predict that Laramie Tunsil would be exposed as a gas mask bong hitter. But he was just an example in the extreme of how unpredictable the NFL draft is. So I don't want to engage in a conversation discussing speculation about where players may or may not land. And I certainly don't want to speculate how that possibility 
could possibly impact the incumbent players on the roster. But certainly, Nate Liss has no problem engaging in those kinds of conversations because he said, well, if Alvin Kamara goes to the Vikings, quote, this would be cold water that puts out the McKinnon camp for good. Fuck out of here. Who the hell are you to say that about Jarek McKinnon? First, you dismiss Jeremy McNichol's accomplishments. Then you extinguish Jarek McKinnon's career. Explain yourself. Explain yourself. I want an explanation. I deserve an explanation. Jarek McKinnon deserves an explanation. And the explanation you gave to Jeremy McNichols and his family was not good enough, by the way. Okay, first off, I would like to uh, revise the quote that Matt gave you. I, I didn't say for good at the end of the McKinnon camp. I like Jarek McKinnon. Nice little addition by Matt Kelly Productions. <laughs> what? Why, the, why is that such an important correction? Those final two words you added, those have to be deleted for the record on this podcast. You know why, because it makes it sound like I hate McKinnon, but I'm going to drop a quote on you. It, because you clearly hate McKinnon to write a tweet like that that comes from a place of pure hatred. Here you go. I'm going to give you a, a sentence right here, and you can give me your take on it. The Minnesota Vikings have no allegiance to a converted quarterback from a school we've never heard of that was drafted in the third round three years ago. That's a fact. There is no allegiance to Jarek McKinnon. I love... Why is that a fact? That's not a fact. That's the opposite of a fact. It is a fact. How is it the opposite? You just said something with absolutely no evidence to back it up and then called it a fact. You can't just say anything you want and then add the addendum, that's a fact, to make it a fact. The sky is green. That's a fact. The sky is not green, but plenty of NFL teams three years after drafting a running back in the third round have moved on from him or given a shot to somebody else. There's plenty of reasons why Jerick McKinnon could get surpassed by a guy like Alvin Kamara, especially. Why? I, okay, well, okay. First off. Why? 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 NFL draft prospects usually fail. This is the great flaw in your reasoning, as it often is. The assumption that the NFL draft prospect is going to land on a team and inevitably compete with that player and likely supplant him is a flawed assumption because most NFL draft prospects fail. So the assumption is that Jarek McKinnon will secure his role. Well, so the assumption is Jarek McKinnon's role is secure and it would be an outlier if a rookie player supplanted him. That's the correct assumption. But you are like many of the other NFL draft analysts who are assuming best case scenario for every player in this draft class, including Alvin Kamara, who has never rushed for more than 700 yards in a given season in his college career. Alvin Kamara is the most overrated running back in this class by a wide margin. Okay, there's a couple things there that were off base. Number one, Alvin Kamara's lack of rushing opportunity is due to the fact that Joshua Dobbs, the quarterback, runs a ton in that offense, more than any running back that they have. And Jalen Hurd. Jalen Hurd was there and then left the program. My point is, if you're not better than another running back on your roster, if you can't be better than Jalen Hurd, then why are we even talking about you as one of the best backs in this class? We're talking about the best of the best. You weren't even the best on your own team for half the season. Get out of here. He was one of the best of the best. First off, Kamara scored 23 touchdowns on 284 touches at Tennessee. That That's probably, and I don't have the rates in front of me, but that might be one of the highest ratios in the league. But let's go back to Jarek McKinnon. Number one, you said that it's tough to tell if these rookies are going to hit or not. Well, I'm still waiting for Jarek McKinnon to hit. Jarek McKinnon had a single season of opportunity last year, and he did not perform up to expectations. He was below league average across the board in the efficiency metrics because the Minnesota Vikings had one of the league's least efficient run-blocking offensive lines and least efficient overall offensive systems. That was the reason. Jarek McKinnon is one of the most explosive athletes at the position, and film watchers believe that he has great instincts, great balance, and is a strong pass protector, all things that 
uber athletes like Kristen Michael did not have on their profile. So Jarek McKinnon checks almost all the boxes you would want in a true NFL workhorse and every down player that can succeed between the tackles, outside the tackles, and in the passing game. Jarek McKinnon is one of the most undervalued running backs in the NFL at this very moment, and you dismissing him as a player that could be easily supplanted by Alvin Kamara is foolish. Alvin Kamara is a better player as a runner and as a receiver than Jarek McKinnon is right now. What? Absolutely. Dude, Alvin Kamara is a great player, and you're going to see he may very well go in the first round of the NFL draft. You put Jarek McKinnon on the Tennessee Volunteers in 2016, and he wins the Doak Walker Award. Okay. I mean, okay. Dante Foreman won the award. Dante Foreman is no lock to be relevant in the NFL. It's a pointless comment. You don't want to hear it, and the Jarek McKinnon fans don't want to hear it, but Jarek McKinnon is Bishop Sankey with a longer leash. That's what's happening right now, and it's going to happen. He didn't take the job when Peterson went down. Asiata has always been filtrated in there. He's never taken it. There's, I like McKinnon. His upside is the fact that his athleticism is some of the best that we've ever seen. That's his upside. It is the best. If his athleticism wasn't what it is, his production is crap. His college production was in a small conference. He was a running quarterback. He has not played the running back position, so you need to allow him the opportunity to develop. You need to give him more time to develop. He's only had three years and only one year getting meaningful snaps as the featured back. He has not been given enough time to develop yet, and it's one thing to allow a player to flash in a system with a great run-blocking unit. That's the chance that Latavius Murray had, and Latavius Murray failed given that opportunity in Oakland. They said, Latavius, we're going to give you a 70% opportunity share. Show us what you can do behind one of the league's most fantastic run-blocking units. What can you do? Show us what you got, Latavius. And what did Latavius do? 4.0 yards per carry. So I don't think Latavius Murray is going to supplant Jarek McKinnon in Minnesota. And I certainly don't believe Alvin Kamara will usurp Jarek McKinnon either. Again, I don't hate McKinnon's upside because that's what everybody loves about McKinnon. They love his upside. But I want to correct you on one thing. He was a running back in college for a year. <laughs> and anyways, he was, a, he was a running back in college for a full season. Why are you giving me that look? Why are you looking at me afraid? That's a great correction. If you have information for the audience that helps to illuminate Jarek McKinnon's profile, helps to expand on it or correct something I said that was blatantly incorrect, well, that's good, valuable information. You shouldn't be shy to share that with the audience. I'd actually like to also know add a correction to what's going on now. Your daughter squeezed in the frame and it made me chuckle for a second. So now that we're back to the regularly scheduled program, I actually really like Alvin Kamara. And I think that people are going to realize this, that he's a very talented back, despite the fact that Kamara didn't have the massive opportunity in Tennessee. It was part of their offense to drive it. through. Oh, here we go again. Here we go again. Enough with the system. If you like a player, you'll say, well, the system didn't do him any favors. If you don't like a player, eh, the system propped up his statistics. You always have this hobby horse argument technique that you fall back on and it's lazy and it illuminates nothing. You you do realize though that whether I'm defending a player for lack of opportunity or I'm defending a player for the opportunity that he was given, I'm always on both sides. I don't That's right, you are on both sides. I don't think One that there's show, anybody you love Jarek McKinnon. One show you hate Jarek McKinnon. One show you love Jeremy McNichols. Another show you hate Jeremy McNichols. I don't hate Jeremy McNichols. You're like a flag swaying in the wind. I feel like every morning I need to go to my flagpole and just raise Nate lists and hang him from the top of the flagpole every day and just let him wave in whatever direction the wind is blowing that day. You do realize, though, that I'm pretty fair in my points. I don't hate Jeremy McNichols You're not fair. I don't think you're fair at all. I think you're holding things against players that are not their fault. What? And I think that you're dismissing players for things that are irrelevant. And I think that you're propping up players by excusing away real, true flaws. 
Okay, so explain this to me. With the arguments that we've had today, what is wrong with Zay Jones then? Incredible college production, incredible athleticism. So then I don't understand. So you love Jarek McKinnon, who's a great athlete. Zay Jones is an awesome athlete. Maybe not on that level, but on a very good level. Zay Jones played the position for numerous years and killed it at the position. One of the best seasons we've ever seen in a college football player. So how in the world can you like some of these players and not like Zay Jones? I don't, I, these, are the, these are the things I'm trying to point out. Because Zay Jones' yards per reception was 11.0 because he was playing exclusively out of the slot. He doesn't know how to play X or Z yet. He's going to have to learn the position all over from scratch at the NFL level because he was in a gimmick system that inflated his counting stats. And the inflation is revealed by a utter lack of efficiency. That's the problem with Zay Jones. If he did it at Alabama, it would be a little different. But he also did it in a Conference USA program that's not a Power 5 Conference school. So if you're a non-Power 5 Conference school putting up huge video game numbers, playing exclusively out of the slot while posting league bottom yards per reception, that is the very definition of a college compiler. And even if you have great athleticism, I'm going to question the production. And if I'm going to question the production, I can't put you in my top 10. I don't hate Zay Jones like I hate Cooper Cup. I have Zay Jones well inside my top 20 wide receivers in this class. Absolutely. I'm drafting Zay Jones ahead of Krishan Hogan and Chad Williams and a lot of the other small school players. I'm also drafting him ahead of the overrated Power 5 Conference wide receivers like Amara Darbo and Ardarius Stewart and Chad Hansen. But I'm not drafting him ahead of bona fide Power 5 Conference wide receivers who played the X receiver position, who played the Y receiver position, who played the Z receiver position at the college level, and who also posted superior age-adjusted production. I will be drafting players like Isaiah Ford and Katie Cannon before Zay Jones. I see your point, and this was your opportunity to make up for the last time we had this debate, but Zay Jones and PFF already did it. He had a ton of downfield targets, 20 yards and beyond. And I don't have the number in front of me. Why didn't it show up in the yards per reception then? Because he had 150. Then he wasn't converting them. Because if he converted all those targets, then his yards per reception would have been higher. But it wasn't. Because he was catching most of these hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of targets that were sent his way very close to the line of scrimmage. Of course, if you're going to get targeted hundreds of times in a season, some of them occasionally will be downfield. Of course. You realize that that was what he was targeted for was in the short area, but he plays down the field. So the whole beginning of this debate, you have Zay Jones ranked ahead of Isaiah Ford. I want you on the record saying this. Hold on. Let me finish this. Do you have him ranked ahead of Isaiah Ford? Because that's my line of demarcation in the rankings. Do you have these overrated players like Zay Jones and Cooper Cup ranked ahead of Isaiah Ford? Yes or no? I'll answer the question after I make this point. Zay Jones, the whole debate here started when I asked you about it and you said that he doesn't do anything downfield. Two things. One, he does do a ton of work downfield. I didn't say he doesn't do anything downfield. I said that that's not where he typically operated. You said that he's not nuanced. He's going to need work to do stuff downfield because his yards per reception are low. I brought up Keenan Allen last time. I brought up Antonio Brown last time. The same problem that Kevin White had at West Virginia. They're not the same. Kevin White did it for one year. This guy did it for two years. He put up Kevin White's numbers the year prior to this season. He had two dominant years in college. So he's not like Kevin White, and he's still a good athlete. And so I don't understand. This is the funniest part. So you're hinging the fact that you don't like Zay Jones or you don't have him ranked higher on his yards per reception. But you like all these other guys with these video game numbers. Who do I like that has video game numbers? Who? Who do I like that has a low college dominator but huge production? Jeremy McNichols had some video game type rushing numbers. Deontay Foreman had some big rushing numbers. 1,800 rush yards in a season is... Jeremy McNichols checks every box. Of course I like Jeremy McNichols. So what box does Zay Jones not check? The yards per reception one that you're going to go... Well, that must indicate the fact that he doesn't do anything downfield. Well, when you catch the ball 158 times, maybe we need to get a fucking math teacher in here to explain this. When you catch the ball 158 times, those 40 catches 
that were for over 20 yards are going to hardly affect the number. It's not going to move it that much. That's like 30%. It's not going to move the needle as much as the majority of 110 or 115 catches. You're missing the larger point here, which is this is a value conversation. No one likes Jeremy McNichols. No one thinks Jeremy McNichols has first-round potential. If that happened, I would object to it because this is generally a bad class. What I've said all along is there's only one true first-round talent in this class, and it's Joe Mixon. That's it. What I'm objecting to is the zeal with which so many football analysts are celebrating Zay Jones. That's all I'm doing. I don't hate Zay Jones. I have him in my top 15, just like I have Jeremy McNichols in my top 10. I don't hate either one of these players, and I see the similarities that you're talking about. But Jeremy McNichols is being graded as a mid to late round pick in the NFL draft. That's not what's happening to Zay Jones. That's my objection. Again, this is such a learning exercise for would-be fantasy analysts. You have stepped in every single pothole along this journey. You have missed the point on every argument. Can I make a point here? How about how about when you say that you're making a point, but you don't say that that's the point you're trying to make? It would make it difficult for someone to figure out the overall thesis of what you're saying. You didn't say any of that during this entire... I have rankings online! www.playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings if you did any prep whatsoever looked at the rankings once checked the show sheet once listened to the clip of Marshawn Lynch talking to John Wertheim once you would know all these things Profiler.com <laughs> advanced metrics and stats that actually predict performance. And no, people refuse to do it. It just is what talk about Cooper fucking cop. Are you still really crying? Of course not. I'm a great actor. Fuck Cooper Cop. I don't even want to hear a syllable about Cooper Cop again. Oh, God, what is a poor man's Andre Williams? That's like a grocery store bagger. And I hope I don't offend anybody that's a grocery store bagger. So I'm going to start coming in with way less effort than I already am. Let's talk about someone else that I hate. Besides you. I said, could you submit a blurb that's three sentences long? You have two weeks to do it. Who's the one guy that I asked? I asked Evan Silva. I asked people from every platform. NFL.com, Yahoo, Roto World, CBS Sports. All these guys submitted to me the best value dynasty player at this moment in time. Except one guy. One guy didn't get back to me. One guy blew me off. One guy was just too lazy to write three sentences down. His name's Nate Liss. God, this is so bad. Everything about that's so true, though. There's just nothing that I can say. It's so true. I mean, it's it's a fact. I had like 10 guys from Dynasty League Football that contributed. Guys that only do redraft participated. It's pretty bad, I know. Lots of hosts of other Dynasty podcasts participated, like the Dynasty One podcast, the Dynasty Dummies podcast, the Dynasty Happy Hour, the Dynasty Tradecast, the Dynasty Trade Calculator podcast. All those hosts participated. My own host did not. I'm trying to stay very elusive, 
trying to stay elusive? Enjoy the time off as you always do. We're never really solving anything. That's what's killing me right now. We're not, we're never, we're never solving shit. You don't know how to podcast. You don't know how to use Twitter. You don't write articles. What would you say you do here? I literally haven't said a word and you're building a case against something that I haven't even said yet. (laughs) It's a fucking hashtag for this guy. Are you kidding me? On NFL.com? They like him. Those people don't know how to evaluate draft prospects. There, there needs to be an ascending white wide receiver, and this is our guy. Why? Was there one last year? Since when do we need an ascending white receiver? <laughs> uh, no. The show sheet that says above it, force you to do research, completely checked out of the last few shows. Can't win a debate during the day with me. During the day, I have so much energy. At night, you can maybe sneak one past the goaltender. So basically, we should just stay on Thursday nights is what you're saying. The Marshawn Lynch sound. You hear it? No. I sent you an MP3 file to preview the Marshawn Lynch sound so you would be prepared. When did you send it? When did you send us it? What, what day is it? I guess you sent it on Thursday. I guess that's fair. I gave you two days to watch a 30-second clip. Hmm. <laughs> uh, no. You just got to run through a motherfucker's face. A lot of guys, they don't want to take this. Over and 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 over again. They just not gonna want that. Like there's a deeper metaphor there. Run through a motherfucker face. How can he fit in? gym time when he's playing video games, taking bong hits, and eating Skittles. Where's the time to go to the gym? I don't see it. Think there's a deeper metaphor there? Run through a motherfucker face. Woo! Hmm. <laughs> uh, no. This would be cold water that puts out the McKinnon camp for good. Fuck out of here. Who the hell are you to say that about Jared McKinnon? And the explanation you gave to Jeremy McNichols and his family was not good enough, by the way. Doing donuts in the middle of the field during a game, during a timeout. That happened. And no, there isn't a deeper metaphor there. You can't just say anything you want and then add the addendum, that's a fact, to make it a fact. Congratulations. While you were watching Dante Foreman's Pro Day, while you were watching Dante Foreman's Pro Day, apparently you were not contributing an article to the player profiler Bilogasm, which I asked you to do and you said you would do and you did not do, and you were not preparing for the show, but hell if you're not going to watch Dante Foreman's fucking Pro Day. Think there's a deeper metaphor there? It's difficult for you to do anything, really. Where do you have him ranked? I have him at number four. there's a deeper metaphor there but get out of here with top five and get out of here putting him ahead of McNichols who is the underrated all-purpose wonderkin back in this class when debating with Matt Kelly you have to wait the three to four minutes for the take to end for you to get your point in you're not a coach so get out of here with that argument we shouldn't count receptions that Jeremy McNichols actually logged in games that happened because he logged too many receptions in those games, but we need to give credit to Deontay Foreman for catches he didn't even make! Think there's a deeper metaphor there? That's the player you're using the gibberish analysis to dismiss? You should be embarrassed. 
Just say it. Say it. It feels good to say it. I love McNichols. The conference was dog shit. Think there's a deeper metaphor there? Uh, no. It's training ground for those that want to know how not to argue on the behalf of football players. The conference was dog shit. The conference was dog shit. The conference was dog shit. If you're going to ignore the fact that he played in the Mountain West Conference, then that's shame on you. The conference was dog shit. The conference was dog shit. The conference was dog shit. I'm always on both sides. Think there's a deeper metaphor there? Uh, no. He listens to the show. His mom listens to the show. Other members of his family listen to the show. And I can tell you, after they listen to this, they won't be listening again. Because you certainly didn't exude person who respects Jeremy McNichols on this show. Oh, God, here we go. We'll leave that up to the people. Done. Done. Done and done. White angel of death. Cooper fucking cop. Think there's a deeper metaphor there? Uh, no. You're like a flag swaying in the wind. I feel like every morning I need to go to my flagpole and just raise Nate Liss and hang him from the top of the flagpole every day and just let him wave in whatever direction the wind is blowing that day. You do realize, though, that I'm pretty fair in my points. I don't hate Jeremy McNichols again. You're not fair. I don't think you're fair at all. I think you're holding things against players that are not their fault. What? It would make it difficult for someone to figure out the overall thesis of what you're saying. You didn't say any of that during this entire... I have rankings online! www.playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings if you did any prep whatsoever looked at the rankings once checked the show sheet once listened to the clip of Marshawn Lynch talking to John Wertheim once you would know all these things why would I check your rankings why would I check your rankings why would I check your rankings answer that question why would I check your rankings what would that do for me? I'm, I'm confused, I guess. I don't understand. I don't check Daniel Jeremiah's rankings. That doesn't do anything for me. Why are you still talking? You know the show is over on that. What? 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 People love argument. We haven't done an argument show since we did that Eric Decker thing. Yelling and screaming at each other for a whole hour? This show is great. Dude, I got a fucking headache right now. It shows fucking dog shit. Think there's a deeper metaphor there? Uh, no. Are you kidding me? That was awesome. We don't argue ever, dude. And I loved it. I'll try and backtrack to where I was, and then you'll go, well, why are you avoiding the point that I just made? And I'll be like, well, wait a minute. You're avoiding the point that I made before you made your point. And I'm just like, I just want to throw a pen against the wall. <laughs> Your exasperation's real, man. That comes through. I knew it was coming. I saw it in the show sheet. You pulling those old Boise running backs? That was pretty good, man. Yeah, I agree. Me pulling the Boise running backs is like somebody saying that every guy that plays for USC is going to bust. I know that. It's all good content. Like, I'm trying to make a debate, and it's just going to get washed out. Sorry you have a headache, man. It was worth it. Because nobody can see you. I can see you. So you say something with a serious tone, so anybody that hears it takes it as serious, but then you go, and you start laughing, and I'm like, look at this guy. Think there's a deeper metaphor there? I'm, I'm just surprised you don't like Zay Jones more than you do. I, honestly, I know you've built up this stance now, but I'm surprised you don't like him. I realize his yards per reception aren't 15 or 16, but he did a lot of work downfield. I just, I'm surprised you don't like him more than you do. He checks so many boxes. It doesn't serve me at this point in the process to change my opinion. You know I'm entrenched because there's no stimulus. Remember with Michael Thomas last year? If Zay Jones gets drafted by New Orleans, then of course I'm going to change my opinion on him. He'll become very good Zay Jones. <laughs> oh, God. All right, I got to go. Good chat. Think there's a deeper metaphor there? Run through a motherfucker face.